0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 221. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week for week number two of WTF. What the February.
1: What's that I hear? Is that the hate train pulling into the station?
0: It could be, as we discuss, 1969's The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. Um, So, I mean, this is one of those things where it's a what the February because, obviously, the title catches your attention. The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. But this is a film that I know has a cult following. It's a movie that I always knew existed. I always knew the title of it. Yet it evaded me. And it's one of those movies that, you know, we talk so often about why we started monoreal radio when we knew that Disney Plus was on its way. These are the kinds of films that I was looking forward to introducing myself to specifically in a month like, what, the February?
1: Right. This did eventually have a VHS release in the 80s, but I can't imagine it was very easy to find.
0: Yeah, 1969. I'm really interested as we kind of dissect this film to see how much they got right and how much they got wrong, you know, in regards to what the computer would be able to do. 1969 is a long time ago. Yeah. So very much ahead of its time, as Disney usually was, they were never afraid of taking a risk. But did they take too much of a risk? Does this film to, uh, deserve to be a considered a What the February? And how much of this computer technology that they teased at the time are we seeing now? That on top of many other things is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silk screen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code MONOREAL at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections.
0: When Medfield College can't afford a $10,000 computer, $10,000 computer, student Dexter Riley, who is on academic probation, asks his former employer and Medford donor, A.J. Arno, to donate the computer. Arno, who runs an illegal gambling scheme, donates the $10,000 computer as opposed to his usual $20,000 cash donation, putting Dexter on the radar of Dean Higgins. While repairing the computer during a thunderstorm, Dexter is electrocuted and becomes a superhuman computer. When Dexter scores a perfect score... On the collegiate speed test in record time, he becomes a national phenomenon. When Dexter becomes the focus of a collegiate quiz show called the College Knowledge Program with a ten with a one hundred thousand dollar cash prize, he ten not computers. only oh yeah he not only becomes uh, an interest to Dean Higgins, but also of the state college, which he could not get into previously. After his friends bail him out of jail, following a gambling raid, Dexter stays true to Medfield and begins to advance through the college knowledge program. During one episode, Dexter glitches and reveals the location of Arno's underground gambling parlor, uh, parlor, so Arno kidnaps him to protect the secret. When no one will help them find Dexter, his friends pretend to be house painters and go to the house where Dexter is being held, and they break him out. However... Dexter is dropped on his head, causing a concussion and damaging his inner computer. However, they get him to the television station where Medfield still manages to win the college knowledge program and the $100,000 prize with some help from his friends. Alright, so a pretty simple plot. It doesn't have an awfully long runtime. What grabs you from the start, though is the song with the opening credits. Now, when we first turned the movie on, I decided I, I wanted to make popcorn. And when I do, I don't just do microwave popcorn. I do it on the stove with the oil. I do it the right way. And you said to me, should I stop the movie? And I said, no, <laughs> it's a Disney movie from the 60s, so we're going to have a five-minute opening credit, and the movie just ends with the end. So you should have
1: played Lotto that day. Uh,
0: yeah, I should have. Uh, this song... Um, wowza (laughs) I give him credit I mean I give him credit for trying this is one of those post-Walt Ron Miller era poor Ron Miller he seems to keep coming back around in what the February films but these are the kind of movies that he would go out on a limb you know these are the kind of films that when Walt Died. Remember, this is three years after he passed away, right? So they're not doing quite as much with the animation. They were already transitioning into live action anyway. But movies like this, The Cat from Outer Space, Witch Mountain, Gus, these are the kind of films that started churning out around the same time.
1: And it was during like a 15-year span. But yeah, I want to hit on this open uh, a little bit more. They give you the full credits, like every single person that worked on the movie. Um, I actually really like what they did with the visual. It reminds me of something that you would see in the 90s. Like when you think 90s computer graphics, it's not quite like the save by the bell open. But as far as the colors and the geometric shapes, that's what it reminded me of. And then the song to me sounded like a sped up all the young dudes.
0: Yeah, but I give them credit for trying. Write an original song for the film. Uh, the opening credits, I was actually kind of impressed with the... As cheesy as the song was, I was kind of impressed with how they opened the movie.
1: Leaps and bounds better than Gus.
0: For sure, which came out like five years later, so steps backwards when it comes to <laughs> Gus. I, I thought they also did a great job of setting up all of the conflict early. Because the movie opens with... The kids are listening on a two-way radio to like a college board meeting, and that's where they flesh everything out. These kids are on academic probation. We don't have enough money. No, you can't have your computer. They don't waste any time with backstory fleshing out what the conflict is going to be.
1: I'm not sure what is more shocking, how poorly concealed this walkie-talkie is in the planter of the boardroom or the reveal that they are walking through the Disney Studios lot, which is serving as the college campus. Here's where my mind really gets blown, though. Not just that they are clearly saving on the budget by shooting on location at the studios. right? It's Medfield College. And I'm like, where have I heard this before? This is so familiar. I I know I've heard this before. Turns out we have heard it in another Disney film. Medfield was the college in absent-minded professor. Yeah. Which came out eight years prior to this. So they are still having us live in the same world. But obviously Medfield, and absent-minded professor, was not on the studio's lot. So I was really surprised that they used the same name and you have a completely different setting for this
0: yeah and if you have not deep dived into disney plus yet absent-minded professor outstanding it's movie. a gem it's so it is a true good. gem um i didn't like flubber much to begin with once i realized that it was a remake of the absent-minded for uh, professor i disliked it even more if you like flubber you will love the absent-minded professor but you're right to go back and use the same name but not shoot it but that's is the thing right like n- most people were not going to catch up on that because there was no home video release there was no disney plus so right. these movies came out and and they got like limited re-releases every few years if it had been 8 years between viewings and you only saw the absent-minded professor once you're not going to catch on that
1: no i'm not trying to be critical of them using the name twice and shooting in two different locations. I'm not going to sit here and be up in arms of, well, will they world built this Medfield college? Like this is not the MCU of the sixties here. That's not my issue. My bigger issue is with, I feel like the cast is way too large in the beginning when you are supposed to be developing characters. And I realize that it is the whole class that is affected by the budget here and the academic probation, so you do have a lot of students that have been displaced at this point. But they start singling out certain students who can continue with other programs, and we don't know enough about these characters yet to know why they're being singled out. Like, is this the top tier of the class that they're smarter, or um, is it the bottom tier that they they don't think could make it in? you know the computer degree so they're trying to put them elsewhere and are they trying to navigate a different path for them we just don't know anything yet and it's it's very hard to get invested because they're blowing through it so quickly and we really don't know who we're supposed to be paying attention to this at this point other than Kurt Russell's character Dexter Riley
0: and the thing is my biggest takeaway is that Kurt Russell's delivery has never changed kurt russell whether he's <laughs> 16 years old or, or santa six, Or 60 or 70. He delivers his lines the exact same way. He, excuse me, he, it's amazing to me, and I'm not saying it in a bad way, but his his enunciations, the way that he just speaks in general, the way he delivers lines, the way that he delivers punchlines and jokes, it's the exact same thing his whole career. Yeah. That's incredible that it never changed.
1: But not in a way that feels stale either.
0: No, not at all. I also think that Arno is immediately likable as a villain. Because we meet him very early on in the film. I love his office. It reminds me of Get Smart.
1: Yeah, I think um, they do a good job of setting him up as... You know he's not really trustworthy, but he's clearly pulling one over on the kids.
0: And he's so smarmy. It's just he works it so well.
1: The introduction to this character, though, is truly terrible. And not even Kurt Russell's delivery could have saved it because one of his classmates asks, who is A.J. Arno? The guy that runs the A.J. Arno company. Could we have named it something else?
0: That was weak screenwriting. A hundred percent. Really
1: bad. Really bad. Like not just, I'm not even going to say it was bad for the time. Just straight bad.
0: Yeah. Not, not great. Not great. But the set is great. The way that the the photograph separates, there's that hidden elevator down into the gambling parlor.
1: Oh my gosh. That portrait. How is this not like a major piece in the archives it is first of all so cool it's something that you would absolutely see in the theme parks like I I'm surprised they didn't do a sight gag like this in the haunted mansion because the way that the the woman sitting in the chair overlaps with the chair when it separates it's it's just so good it is so cool looking and I am dying to know if they still have it
0: I I mean I hope so I certainly hope so.
1: It is one of the best set pieces of all time.
0: So we move on now. We get the computer, right? And the dean, Higgins, is so angry. And Dexter is like bragging to the dean that he's the one that negotiated the deal, that he's the one that got it. Because you know, as soon as... Uh, as soon as Arno realizes that the computer is half the cost of his usual donation, and he's like, oh yeah, I'll donate the computer. We all know what he's going to do, right? But it's this wonderful, cringe-worthy scene where Dexter thinks he's done this this like fantastic thing for his college, because all he wants to do is the right thing by Medfield. Yes. And Higgins is just so frustrated with him. As they bring a computer into the room, that is literally the size of the room.
1: I think this also speaks a lot to Higgins' character because not only does he not appreciate what Dexter has done, but you know he wouldn't have put that money into anything related to the computers. Right. It may have been spread out for something, you know, across other departments, or it would have been just one major contribution to something of his own interest. So I think it speaks volumes that he's totally ungrateful that Dexter really saved this program.
0: Right, but all he cares about is that he cost them half the donation money. Right. To him, he cost them $10,000.
1: I also think this is really interesting what it says about the time period, how a private college was struggling and the state schools were thriving.
0: Yeah, well, they have obviously a lot more money behind them than the private school, right? At least that's what they're setting up here. And they also set up that this is like a lower end private school as they are talking about doing that uh, collegiate speed test. I think they said, what do they place? 36 out of 37 schools in the state of California. So you not only get the feeling that they're struggling financially, but they're just not the sharpest school out there
1: and that's where they really should have picked a different name because i can't believe that this is the same school that the absent-minded professor was working at when he discovered flubber and all of the notoriety even the basketball team in that film had a lot of yeah. notoriety so i i don't necessarily buy that this is like a fledgling school
0: well the basketball team in that movie had notoriety for all the wrong reasons the flubber <laughs> is what helped
1: them. Uh, but let's let's Oh, you
0: have something else.
1: Let's talk about the computer yes. itself and Quigley's demonstrate. First of all, I'm a little bit distracted by Quigley's hair in this scene because at the time, I'm sure you didn't notice, but they dyed it like a dark brown. But it's picking up as red and purple, depending on how he's lit in this scene. Um And I'm sure it worked for the time, even though this film was in color, but on high def TVs now. He looks like he kept he stepped out of the Hunger Games or something with these colors in his hair, um, but the computer to me is just so impressive. Not just for 1969, but the way that they they did. I mean, I expect nothing less. As far as sight gags, because we've already had Mary Poppins at this point. So right. think Spoonful of Sugar. That's what this computer is sort of demonstrating here with all of the movement. And you, you can't see any of the tricks going off. It's just the computers if it's doing it. And they set it up uh, with this rainy day scenario. And Quigley tells the class, imagine that your parents are stepping out and they ask you, you know, when you wake up to. Um, it was let the cat in close the window because it's gonna rain and
0: get the groceries
1: yes so he simulates the rain over the door and once the rain starts dripping the computer does everything that the human would have forgot and it kind of blew my mind I was like that is like an early calendar reminder in your phone
0: yeah the whole idea that computers could replace people was so ahead of its time
1: yeah I mean you you forget I think that we think of ahead of its time now in like the late seventies or eighties when we think computers, but right. this was in the sixties. Um, so it's just a great scene, like conceptually the idea of what the computer can do and the way that they pulled it off with all of these, you know, classic sight gags of cupboards opening and closing and the phone ringing um, and yeah. Again, straight out of Mary Poppins, straight out of the parks. It was just really, really well done.
0: Yeah, fully automated home, right? It was a smart home. It was the f- really one of the first times you'd ever seen something that would later become a smart home. Um, okay, so let's get to the scene where Dexter becomes a supercomputer. He drives to get a computer part, and he goes to replace because the, the computer shorts out. During this demonstration, he goes to get the replacement park. It's raining. There's a thunderstorm. He gets electrocuted. Can we discuss that that classroom, for some reason or the next, is like ankle deep in water?
1: I have so many issues with this scene. Even before he gets back to the classroom with the part... He's driving and studying at the same time. So he's got no, he's, he's got a little car that can't be any bigger than like a modern day Prius. And he's got his notes taped to the window. It's pouring rain. He's in the hills of California. Like this is dangerous even if it's not raining. But yes, when he gets back. The computer is already several inches underwater. So your donation is already ruined. You die when you get electrocuted like that. And the movie's over.
0: Well, no, not if you become a supercomputer. The what like you I do, what I liked about this was the fact that the Applejack line. I didn't pick up on it yes. the first time. They throw back to the initial electrocution scene where they think he's just talking in his sleep, but he's talking about Applejack, which is the code name for these gambling parlors, or AJ for AJ Arno.
1: Like whisk. Whiskey Foxtrot.
0: Yeah, exactly. So they um, they throw back to it, which I was impressed with because I forgot that they did that until we watched it the second time. But yeah, th- that, that computer was fried before he even got into that room.
1: He shouldn't have even stepped down into the water.
0: Yeah, that was... I'm not even going to say that was a bit of a stretch. That was completely ridiculous. For a film where Kurt Russell becomes a supercomputer, that was what was insane to me. That's what was far-fetched. But I like the whole idea of this speed test. I think that it's a great means of introducing this power. I think it's a great means of showing just how advanced and how quick he is. And the only thing that's cringy about it is they all keep telling him to shush. And no matter what he does, he can't help but to make as much noise as possible while they're taking this test.
1: Right, because he keeps flipping the pages instead of just like turning them over quietly. He does like that really loud snappy flip. Yeah. Um I feel like they could have tightened the scene up in the editing a little bit more because it does feel like it's dragging a little bit. It doesn't play out in real time. Quigley says that Dexter took this test in four and a half minutes when most people don't even get to finish it. Right. Um, I think he
0: said in 90 minutes, most people don't finish it. I believe was what he said. I think that was the time. right.
1: And most of it's obviously not correct, but Dexter did everything right in four and a half minutes. Right. So it doesn't give you the full four and a half minutes of screen time, but it does feel like it at certain points because it's dragging and the continuity is, is way off. I, I shouldn't even say it's continuity because there's a lack thereof. Um, You've got the wide shots of him taking the test and checking the boxes off. It's like a multiple choice. Um, And then he looks like he's thinking in those scenes. And then in the close-ups, he looks like he's smiling because he knows that he knows the material and that he's going to ace this test. Um, So it just doesn't quite match up that way. And I think it would have been a lot less noticeable had they tightened up the scene and it didn't drag on for so long.
0: I think the worst part about this scene is when they call a doctor in because they can't figure out why he was able to finish this test so quickly. Oh, Lord. And Higgins is angry that they wasted $20 on a doctor visit for Dexter. And they're looking in his ears...
1: Are they looking in his ears, though, or his eyes? Sometimes it's his ears.
0: Sometimes (laughs) it's his eyes. We don't really know.
1: Well, the instrument that they are using is supposed to look into your ears, but the angle at which they are looking at Dexter is through his eyes. So that's another continuity error. Um, How do you feel about seeing the computer lights and buttons inside his head?
0: I thought, wow. Yeah. Uh, I I understand that you're trying to convey the idea that he is a computer in his mind. But when you get like a a great sight gag that we just talked about last week, the X-ray scene in Gus. Disney animation, hand-drawn animation. Like you're telling me that you couldn't done hand-drawn animation to show like, I don't know, gears turning or something. Instead you get like the bleep bloop lights and a control panel and like tapes running. The only thing that I did like about it is you start seeing more of the gambling parlors, which again you don't you don't understand what that is. Yes, until you watch the movie a second time. So, like for that, it was worth it. But to see just it more or less is just stock footage of a computer acting as a computer, and it's like cut scenes. It was jarring.
1: Oh, see, I don't think it's stock footage. I I think um, they just use their set. And they they zoomed in on it. I agree with most of what you said, except for seeing gears in his head, because this is where the film starts to lose me a little bit. He got electrocuted. So this is sort of supposed to read like it's a superpower. But I feel like the way that it's played is a robot and. Yes, that's true. You could, I mean, there is that natural thread when you think computer, you do think robot. But in the way that he's speaking, um, yeah, the way that he's speaking, it would allude to gears in his head. But that's the thing. They didn't put a, a chip in his head. You know, he got shocked. So I feel like there's not a lot that connects the way that he's behaving to what actually happened to him. Like I'll buy taking the test at a rapid speed. I will buy that he can do all these calculations in his head really fast. I will buy that he can read anything and recall it because that all says computer. But I just don't feel like he should have been like speaking as a robot and doing the bleep bloop as good as Kurt Russell does that. I feel like it just should have been more of his performance With superhuman knowledge. And that also would have lent to the title a little bit more, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. It's you're not expecting this boy to be able to compute like a machine. Correct.
0: What's intriguing as well is that he becomes this overnight national sensation because he took this test. I could understand if he started whizzing his way through the college knowledge program. Yes. And that's how he gained notoriety? Yes. But because he flew through this test, he is now front page news.
1: Yeah. We also needed to live with Dexter's own realization a little bit more and how he feels about this newfound talent, power, whatever it is that you want to call it. Because you're right. He gets immediately thrust into the media and we don't really see how things have Uh, started to catch on I would have even bought the notion that Higgins is now all of a sudden team Dexter and like oh well my student got this donation and now you know he's he's a genius and now he is pushing Dexter into the limelight because he wants the attention on the college like I I just would have loved to see that one moment where Higgins realizes what he's got and all he sees is dollar signs and how he can profit off of Dexter now.
0: Well, you do get that, but it's after Dexter becomes national news. So we don't know what pushes him to become national news because of a test. So you're right. If Higgins would have seen it that way and Higgins was the one that pushed it so that he'd get the notoriety so that enrollment would go up and he could start cashing in. That would make sense. Instead, what you get is Dexter kind of seems like he's almost doing it on his own.
1: And Higgins
0: trips and falls into this idea that he can profit off of him using the college knowledge program. I think his self-interest is great. I think that it makes sense. But it kind of seems like he should have been scheming the whole time. And he wasn't.
1: Right. And then we have this really long drawn out way I mean of course they had to introduce the gambling and get Dexter in trouble but it's only you know it's like 15 to 20 minutes of screen time later where this idea is brought full circle because Dexter realizes after all this notoriety who his true friends are and the state school is trying to court him and have him play for their college of knowledge team So eventually the windup once Dexter realizes that he wants to stay at Medfield with his friends is that they form their own college of knowledge team to compete for this money, which is Higgins idea because now, like you said, he's trying to capitalize on Dexter. But after Dexter realizes that he wants to help his friends, he should have been the one to decide I'm going to stay at Medfield and play for their team Because he was the one who went to get the computer as a donation in the first place. Like, he cares about this school, so I don't buy that this wasn't his idea. There's
0: a lot that's going on here that I have questions about. The first is, you start to see Dexter get a little bit arrogant while he's on this national tour. And he's kind of missed, I'm not going to say he's mistreating his girlfriend, but he's kind of brushing her off.
1: We don't know that that's even his girlfriend, though. They don't really establish it. It seems... First of all, I give them a lot of credit for the time for putting a female in this computer program. She is the only one. And it just kind of seems like they're treating them as, like, captain of the football team and head cheerleader. And they're just going to be together no matter what. So, that relationship isn't just... It's not clearly defined. It's just an assumption. Clearly, though, she does have feelings for him because she gets very jealous when she sees him on the news kissing other girls. But this is my thing. How
0: much of that is Dexter buying into his own hype? And how much of that is the computer? They never. Oh, they never really define because Dexter kind of like comes in and out of like, I'm arrogant and I'm kind of pushy and I don't have time for you. And I and I've not changed at all. So they never clearly define exactly what's going on there. So there's a disconnect with that. Um, The whole thing with him deciding he wants to stay with Medfield is because A.J. Arno now wants a piece of the kid because it's his computer that he donated. They know that they can utilize him. They take him to Hollywood Park. He wins him, what did he say? He won him like 20 grand at the racetrack that day. He hit eight races in a row. I,
1: yeah, I think it was 20 grand. I, I was thinking 80, but that's it. It's the eight races. That's where the eight is coming from. Correct.
0: So he wins him a ton of money. He's got one of his cronies chauffeuring him around. That's how he ends up at this gambling raid. That's how he ends up in jail. And while this is going on, Higgins and the dean from the state school are literally chasing them around yes. town trying to get them signed because he doesn't have... He's not enrolled for a, for the spring semester. That's the whole thing.
1: Right. And they are literally finding him and waving the paperwork in his face.
0: Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, he's a free agent, right? Yeah. So he can kind of do whatever he wants. Um, what I also found interesting is that the state school said that they're going to grab their football coach, to help recruit because they need a top recruiter. So this leads you to believe that they've got a strong athletic program. This is a coach of some notoriety. You never see this coach. They say they're going to use him. You never see him. It always just ends up being the dean chasing him around with an enrollment slip is basically all that it is. Right. But he gets arrested. He winds up in jail. With the deans because they just arrest everybody that's in this gambling parlor when the cops raid the place.
1: It's like an FBI raid. It like was, they are yeah. coming in the front, back, left, and center. It That's actually kind of a fun scene.
0: It is. I love the old lady that screams, it's a raid. Like <laughs> it was just funny coming out of her, but they're in jail. And even in jail, they're waving enrollment slips in his face. All they care about is getting him enrolled for the spring semester. I, I subtly love how aggravating that must have been
1: yeah no I totally agree um that's a really good point that you brought up that you don't know what's Dexter and what's the computer at this point um as far as his relationship with his friends as far as not knowing which school he wants to because it does seem like it's all driven by ego but like a computer wouldn't know to have these feelings and that's where I think it would have been interesting to live a little bit longer with Dexter trying to wrap his mind around the idea. They do have a really quick scene before the press tour where um, he's like, I'm so nervous. What am I going to say? And his friends are talking him up. But like, we just need to see a little bit more of that. I was going to say internal struggle, but even more of an external struggle. Like maybe he is like fighting and wrestling with the computer for for control of his mind and his feelings like that would have been a lot more interesting to zero in on.
0: Yeah, because the crescendo of all of this is that his friends bail him out of jail. Now, the whole time. Yes. He and this lackey think that it's Arno. That only got Dexter out. And when he comes out, he sees that it was his friends. And that's why he stays at, Medf- uh, at Medfield. Right, because
1: they they exit the scene and you're left with the dean of the state school and Higgins waving the papers in his face, not even questioning who bailed him out and what's going to happen if they have to stay. They're still just trying to get him to sign the paperwork. And then you see, yeah, his friends are like, his, his massive group of friends are like, $2.50 short, and the, the Baylor's like, whatever. I'll, I'll kick it in, just everybody out.
0: Yeah, but that puts Dexter in control of the situation. That's yes. where he's going to stay true to his friends. Um, and then he is the one that... Higgins comes with the list of kids that he wants on the team. And Dexter turns around and goes, no, I'm bringing my buddies with me. So from this moment on, Dexter's in complete control of the situation... And that is how and why he has shown his loyalty to Medfield. For no reason more than his friends literally bailed him out, he wants to be there for them because he knows how much the program means for them. Right. Um, There is one line that I want to mention, though, while they're in the jail cell. I think it's one of the better lines in the movie. Is that Dexter is talking to this crony of Arno's. And he's like, I'm starting to feel, um, I'm paraphrasing. But I'm feeling conflicted because I'm starting to wonder how much of this is people want me for me and how much of this is people want me for them. And this crony has one of the best lines in the movie. Yes. He says, kid, aren't you supposed to be some sort of genius? Everyone thinks about themselves. You don't expect it out of that character. But there could not be a more poignant line for this entire film than that line
1: yes and he's telling him really that he is also in it for himself so even though he is working under arno he is still acting in his own self-interest and he has an ulterior motive
0: yeah basically it's let's break away and go do this racetrack thing by ourselves It basically was his brilliant idea
1: right because there does come a point too where arno pulls the plug On Once he knows that Dexter knows the location and he is inadvertently broadcasting it, Arno tells them, shut everything down, get out of there. And this guy keeps going.
0: Right. Because what has happened at this point now is we're on the college knowledge program. Medfield is flying through, destroying the competition because of Dexter. And one of the answers to a question on the show is Applejack. Yes. So he answers it. And he starts to glitch out. And on national television, he starts to broadcast Applejack and the location for all of these illegal gambling rings. That's why Arno shuts it all down. I love the fact that we get an early computer glitch. I love the fact that they played up on the idea that a supercomputer can still glitch. And that this was a means of exposing Arno without directly exposing him. And also gave them a reason to kidnap Dexter because you have to get Dexter involved in another conflict somehow that's going to keep him away from college knowledge. I like that this is the route that they ran instead of like the state college doing something to sabotage him.
1: Exactly. This is a kind of what we talked a little bit about um with Gus, that they did have some really good conflict in there. One of the few things that we did like about that film was that they would either go after the mule at one point, or they would go after Andy at one point, but never together where they were going to help each other escape. And this is sort of similar is you're expecting. I mean, even though we know Arno is the, the bad guy, you would expect it from the state to eliminate the competition. So this is actually where it didn't serve Gus, where there was too much going on. This is where having two antagonists does work in this case. I also want to talk about this set because I think it was a pretty smart idea to have this television show because it could have just been any kind of, of competition amongst the colleges. You don't necessarily have to broadcast that. But because they are clearly trying to save on the budget by shooting it on the Disney lot, you know that this is just one of the sound stages and half the props in there are actual equipment that they are using to film their shows and movies at the time. And they just have them as props in the scene to make it look like these kids are on television. I mean, it does serve the plot because, as you said, they are broadcasting the location. Now Arno knows that his location is compromised. Um, so it is in service to the story, but it was also, this is one of those rare occasions where the business and the creative are working together in tandem.
0: For sure. um, I think that it was a bit of a stretch how his friends figured out that Applejack was Arno, because yes. they're like, Applejack, Applejack, AJ, AJ Arno. AJ Arno has kidnapped Dexter because he didn't show up at my house last night. It just seems like, they rushed to that conclusion. And I wish that we would have lived there for a little while longer. And I also find it hard to believe that this national phenomenon yes. that is being brought to the United Nations on live television goes missing, and the cops are like,
1: eh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It, th- that whole thing just seems a little far fetched as it's, a means of getting his friends to bail him out again.
1: It is a very clunky scene. And they did have an easy out because his roommate heard him the first night where he's just, you know, spitting out the computer jargon in his sleep. But he says AJ in that scene as well. I would have bought it more if the roommate had listened to the tapes from the show again and was like, Applejack, Applejack, where have I heard that before? Right. And then he was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the same thing that Dexter said the night that we realized something happened." And then they started piecing it together.
0: Yeah, they never throw back to that moment.
1: Yeah, especially because I believe this is the same character that asked who AJ Arno was in the first place. Yes. So the breadcrumb trail is there. It just dies in this scene.
0: Yeah, it totally does. Um, let's talk about the breakout scene, though.
1: When Cruella Deville drives out of the Arno building. Yeah,
0: basically. <laughs> Um, I actually kind of like the breakout scene. The kids as the house painters make sense. Again, we rushed into finding the location that he was being kept in. It's not really explained all that well as to how they managed to find it. We kind of just did.
1: Well, it's similar to Gus. Everybody has a house up in the country, don't you know? Right.
0: So the kids, go, but I like that they're there. They stage themselves as house painters. The guys who work for Arno are not smart enough to understand that this is really just a setup the whole time. Because they're all comic relief.
1: They are. I feel like the plan to kill Dexter, though, comes out of nowhere. I mean, I understand why he needs to be detained and they need to figure this out so he doesn't keep giving up the locations. Okay, fine. But we went from zero to 60 very, very fast here. Um... Here's the only thing, though. I said that in the beginning of the film, this was way too large of a cast where we didn't properly develop all of the characters. Now you have a large cast that you can use to your advantage. There are so many people here. The villains are clearly outnumbered. Why did we need this elaborate paint scheme? I mean, clearly for more sight gags, obviously, because Ron Miller loves a sight gag and a paint spill or a, uh, you know flower shooting all over a grocery store. Um But there were so many people and three bad guys because Arno's not even on the scene yet. They could have taken them.
0: They have guns. These kids have paint.
1: But not in a metropolitan area. No.
0: Correct. Um But I think the breakout is pretty good. I think Dexter being thrown in a trunk and then falling on his head from two stories, uh, yeah, at a minimum, you're going to get a concussion. But I uh, I think that you kind of jumped the shark on that one a little bit. Maybe if they would have just like slid him down a staircase. Something that's, oh, I don't
1: know, not a two-story drop onto his head. I mean, the getting electrocuted was such a phenomena. You have to counterbalance that. I mean, here's the thing. The electrocution scene was so far-fetched you do really need something equally as far-fetched to knock it out of him. Um, Because the only other thing that he says once they get the trunk up onto the car is that he's losing air. I would buy that he's having a near-death experience and that's why he can't, you know, compute anymore because he's losing air. If he almost dies, then you're lucky to get your basic functions back. So. I would believe that that also took a lot out of him as well. Um, but yeah, it it's not the most egregious thing I don't think that that happens in the scene. To me, <laughs> the most egregious thing is that the kids are worried that one of one of the classmates is painting the house the wrong color, and it's like, you're gonna give us away because you reverse the trim and the siding. Yeah, Th- that'll give you up.
0: Or that's gonna do it. How about when they get him out and Arno now has arrived and he and his cronies are chasing them down in Dexter's car, mind you.
1: That I thought was actually smart because they've poured paint in all of the other cars. Like everybody has their own car on the scene, so there's three or four of them, but they forgot to do Dexter's car.
0: Right, because they dumped the paint and the gas in the uh, the gas uh, chamber, and that's why the cars won't start.
1: Right. I'm still not sure, though, how Dexter's car got there. He
0: drove himself to his own kidnapping.
1: Well, he did because when when they show up to kidnap him, Dexter is leaving and the guy's like, get in the car, get in, or, or start the car, start the car, and he gets in right. with him, but it wasn't his car. It He's driving like car. a fancy car, yeah. yes. So I still have no idea how that car got there.
0: I don't know, but the sight gags are pretty good because now... Arno and his guys are chasing them down and they're dumping paint on the road. The little dune buggy-esque car is spinning out. Then they just start throwing paint cans. They throw a generator. They throw all this stuff. What is the last... Ladders. Ladders. What's the last thing that they do? They take a hose that has compressed air underneath it and start spraying the windshield with paint and spraying them in the face so that they can't see where they're going. Why was this not the first thing that you did to try and get away?
1: Because, oh my goodness, chaos and hilarity ensues. The only thing missing from this scene was the helicopter. Truly.
0: Yep, we didn't have it. No helicopter here. But we get back to the college knowledge program, and Dexter continues to malfunction on TV, and he starts breaking... Like, I understand that that, I guess, is what would happen. But to the point you made earlier, now we're less computer and more robot. Yes. But I understand that they have to set up more conflict. But you're also going to set up this idea that one of these teammates that Dexter handpicked that Higgins wanted nothing to do with is ultimately the one that answers the final question that wins Medfield the college knowledge. So, like, I understand that's what you're doing and you're trying to make good on this idea that...
1: His friends are always there for him. Yeah.
0: Um, But it was... If if you would have seen maybe, like, two questions get answered Mm. like that, I would have said, okay. But it drags along and it kind of kills the pace at the end of the movie just a little bit.
1: I agree because the the slowing Dexter down is really reading more robot than it is computer. And I think it would have been a little bit more effective to have him maybe speeding up to, sh- to lend to the idea of him shorting out um, or putting more bleeps and bloops into his feet yeah. because that's really what's giving him up to begin with, right? Is that he's spitting out Arno's location, so why wouldn't you just really lean into that idea a little bit more. Um, I think the scene also becomes problematic and, and feels like it's dragging because the announcer says twice okay last question so they're trying to create the tension and the drama and build the scene where these two teams are neck and neck because Dexter missed half of this competition so his teammates have been carrying it for him and they're not getting blown out of the water, but it's it's a close race at this point. So the other school actually, no, Medfield does pull ahead.
0: Yes, temporarily.
1: As Dexter is slowing down, then he gives the last question to this is actually the Eastern State School. It's Eastern state it is. school. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, so obviously they've they have built to that. They've done a very good job of, you know, uh keeping that through line of the worthy opponent and the state school being another antagonist this entire time. So they get the quote unquote last question. They pull ahead by 10 points and then, Oh, there's time for one more. And now Dexter is totally incapacitated. He can't answer the question. So one of his friends does, but this is, again, you didn't develop these other characters nearly enough because the, the one that answers it is, Oh, I know this. It's where my uncle lives. Remember, Dexter? We talked about that. No, none of us remember. Right. Because I've never... I, I actually don't know that I've seen you talk to Dexter this entire film.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bit of a stretch, though I'm glad that they have one of his friends that Higgins didn't want on the team answer the question. That's all well and good. Um, all right, let's start talking about the cast here um, because I think the, the cast, at least the two biggest names in the film... Are the most noteworthy, starting with Kurt Russell uh, as Dexter Riley. I think I said this in Miracle. Kurt Russell is good in everything, so guess what that means? It means Kurt Russell is good in this movie.
1: I mean, obviously, though this this was the beginning of a very long-standing partnership with Disney, right? I they didn't necessarily sign him to the studio contract um, because obviously Miracle was. So many years later, but clearly he was a Disney favorite that they kept coming back to.
0: Yeah. Cesar Romero plays A.J. Arno, the original Joker.
1: That blows my mind.
0: Major, major name at the time. Yeah. um, He was excellent. I loved it because he played it. He didn't play it like the Joker, but he has he has the wit and the charm that you associate with his Joker.
1: I mean, he really does give it that quality of like classic Hollywood cinema. He's just got that like air about him. He almost reminds me of like a Vincent Price um, in, in kind of a weird way. But um, yeah, I, I love him in this and I wish he had more screen time.
0: Yeah, because he does disappear for a while. And I think that that was a missed opportunity.
1: Right. I mean, really, though, it is all you need because I think had they given him more screen time, it probably would have felt very campy and hokey. And because you do have him for less time, it does strike that perfect balance between, you know, you can't trust him. You know, he's the bad guy, but you still want to because he's likable.
0: Joe Flynn plays Dean Higgins. I think he's a good foil. I think that he's good comic relief. I think he actually played the role quite well.
1: I agree. Again, not a lot of screen time, but they utilized it very effectively.
0: William Shalert plays Professor Quigley, and I th- I like his portrayal here because he strikes the balance really well betw- between being, like, the cool professor, which, for the 1960s, you really didn't have, like, the cool professor. They were all kind of stuffy, right? So I like the fact that he struck the balance between being the cool professor and also knowing how to politic with the academic board at the school and fighting for the students.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would have called him the cool professor. I mean, like, he's no Jonathan Turner, but he's definitely beloved by the kids, because, and, and, you know, that's evidenced very early on in the film where Dexter offers to go to bat for him by, you know, getting the part that's needed and even before that, getting this donation.
0: Yeah. Uh, final thoughts on the computer
1: war tennis shoes. I'll go first if you don't mind, because I'm going to keep this pretty short and sweet. Uh, full disclosure, I really didn't like this when we watched it. Uh, I thought parts of it were really clunky and because of some bad dialogue and bad continuity, Uh, It just wasn't doing it for me, but I actually like it a little bit more now that we've talked through it. Um, And I think that looking at some of the individual parts, it's better than it is as a whole. Clearly, though, I am in the minority and I am in the wrong because this is actually part one of a series with the Dexter Riley character. I started looking on IMDb. Actually, it was when I realized that, you know, this was Cesar Romero and I wanted to go back and look at the rest of his credits and everything. And I saw that he played A.J. Arno again. And I went, what? So after deep diving, um, I saw he was in another film called Now You See Him, Now You Don't, where Dexter makes himself invisible And then from there, I saw that Kurt Russell played Dexter Riley again, but it was beyond Now You See Him, Now You Don't. He's also in The Strongest Man in the World. That I saw come up on Disney Plus under Suggested Films. And I went, oh, is this Kurt Russell again? Maybe he did get that studio contract because they liked him. And then I saw the character's name come up again. So... This is where maybe it does seem a little bit more egregious that they're using Medfield again because clearly they are now world building here. Um, does that mean that we are going to do these films for the remainder of What the February? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure that out because we do have a doozy coming up. We know that there's one more at least that we want to review, but I'm wondering if we keep diving into this world, maybe we find more of a gem
0: Here's my thing. I want to do the doozy next week for What the February? But I think that there is a time and a place. We'll have to look at the calendar where we do these other two films. This might be Disney's first trilogy. I wonder yeah. if this is like their first trilogy.
1: Yeah, because they they did another film. Um, they kept, I think, Long John Silver going or or Blackbeard from Treasure Island.
0: Well, but I think the Blackbeard movie is completely separate from Treasure Island.
1: It's the same actor. But yeah, I don't think it's supposed to be this. I'm not even
0: sure that it's the same actor. I don't we're, we'll have to deep dive into that one as well eventually. We're going to get to all of these films eventually. But I do want to maybe go into this a little bit further. Maybe not right now. But eventually, because now I'm intrigued. You have definitely piqued my interest. I did not know that this was something that was ongoing. I knew that this film was a big financial success for Disney when it came out, but I didn't know that it was successful to the point that they would have made multiple sequels with the Dexter Riley character. But with all of that being said, you know what? I, I thought it was okay when we saw it the first time. Um, I thought, yeah, this is certainly a What the February. Upon the second viewing, there were more things that I liked the first time, but in equal measure, there were more questions that I had rather than the first time. Do I think this movie deserves to be What the February? Not really. Not past the title of the film that'll pique your interest. Do I think that the movie was... Ahead of its time with the computer stuff. Yeah, I think the smart home, the AI, replacing people when it comes to the workforce. Very much ahead of its time. Do I think that it's a good movie? I think it's alright. I think if I had seen this in in 1969, my head would have been blown. Um, I think that there are certain elements because they got certain things right. I think the movie actually does hold up. Is it one that I'm going to go back to often? Probably not. Is it the gem that I was hoping that it would be? Not necessarily. It's not the Apple Dumpling Gang, but it's certainly not Gus or Fuzzbucket either. Right. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about the computer war tennis shoes. Have you seen it? Did you grow up with it? Is this something that you are now interested in watching for the first time? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com.
1: No, and if you've not seen it yet, I think it is at least worth checking out just simply to see the Disney Studios.
0: For sure. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four night Disney cruise ship and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So
1: if you are interested in completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monorail Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezi. that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Karma and Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor. And I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at Karma and Kismet designs.com.
0: And as always, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's work and all of her services. It is online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com That's Karma, the letter N KismetDesigns.com News this week, very television-centric. A lot's been announced at Disney. A lot of that we are going to talk about in a Dockside chat coming up soon.
1: Yeah, we're going to start deep diving into the company reorganization announcements, uh, and and ha- how we think Iger's doing now that he's back.
0: Yes, and we're going to talk about how long ESPN will be a part of Disney because, spoiler, I don't think it's going to last much
1: longer. Hulu might be on the chopping block as well.
0: We're about to find out, I guess. Uh, but let's talk about some shows that are coming out. Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures will premiere on Disney Plus and Disney Junior on May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. Because, of course. Uh, Set during the High Republic era, the animated series follows the younglings. I think that this is a great means of introducing Star Wars to that Disney Junior crowd. We've seen the younglings before. We've seen them specifically in the prequel trilogy. We saw how it ended for them as well. Uh, So I think that this is a good way of getting kids introduced to Star Wars and using another... Means of storytelling and some more characters that you can further world build off of. Hooking them early. All right, Disney uh, uh, Disney branded television has also announced the launch of a Disney Channel series called Saturdays. That's going to come out on Friday, March twenty fourth at nine p.m. The series follows teen Paris Johnson and her roller skate crew, the Weeby Girls on their journey to become the top skaters in Chicago. And we've also got a return of Secrets of Sulphur Springs coming back for a third season with two episodes airing at 8 p.m. Uh, we haven't watched Sulphur Springs. But this seems to be a franchise that Disney is just putting like a lot of money into. And this is one of those things that people talk about it, like they talk about some of those old 90s Uh, Disney Channel shows that people grew up watching.
1: Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about this show.
0: I'm glad to see that they are still putting money into the Disney Channel though and and that they are not just putting things to Disney Plus because admittedly, There's a nostalgic part of me that was fearful that the Disney Channel would come to an end and that they were just going to pilfer everything into Disney Plus. But they make so much money off of the cable contract that it wouldn't make sense for them to do that either.
1: Yeah, I don't think that the Disney Channel is ever going to go away, especially because that's just another way that they can license the films. Like if they wanted to do, uh, you know, a Sunday night movie or. You know, just air things. If you're not subscribing to Disney Plus, they can air them on the channel. I think it's smart to keep it still. And also just, you know, for parental controls, because kids are smart. They'll figure out a way to change the app. So if you don't want them to have access to the app at all and still be able to watch Disney and, you know, know that you are safely putting them in front of a television, they can just watch the Disney Channel and then you don't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah, we want to know what you have to say about this Disney television news. Are you a parent that has a kid that you put in front of the Disney Channel every day? Or are you just a kid at heart that continues to watch the Disney Channel? You can let us know Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us Radio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. I just mentioned our social media. We are also on TikTok at Monoreal Radio. I just gave you that email address. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything related to the show, it is going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.